Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am delighted to have Erin Starmer with me, who is a wonderful author, one of my absolute favorites, and whose uh, young adults and middle grade books have made so many different best of year lists from Time Magazine to the Wall Street Journal to the School Library Journal. And you'll know if you listened to the episode a couple of weeks with Zanandi and I, that I picked uh, Erin's novel Spontaneous as one of my favorites. So I'm so thrilled to be able to ask Erin all the writing and humor-based questions today. But before we dive in, is there anything else that you'd love people to know about you and your work? Um, not really. I mean, I think you covered it. I, I, I write mostly for young people. Um, so, but that's a full range from from about seven years old up to something like Spontaneous, which I would not recommend for seven year olds. Um, yeah. is is a book specifically for teenagers, but I hope that um, adults can enjoy my books as well. And I and a lot of the people that reach out to me are adults that that are finding the books on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And Spontaneous was one of those examples where um, I actually watched the film first. Mm -hmm. I love the film. And whenever I see a film where I think that's an interesting concept and I know that it's based on a book, I always go back and read the book and absolutely loved it. Like um, immediately was so glad uh, that I read it. So I highly recommend it. And I actually wanted to start with um, the quote that's at the beginning of your novel, Spontaneous. It says, to the ones who feel like it could all come apart at any moment and to the ones who comfort us, and keep us together. And I just wonder when you think about that concept of like, things coming apart and things that bring comfort, where does humor and writing fit in that picture for you? I mean, I think humor is is the most essential part of, of you know, moving through grief or moving through difficult times. I mean, that's that's always something that I've found. If you can't um if you can't laugh at the difficult things in life, then then it's gonna be hard to confront them because you're gonna you know the themes of spontaneous are are obvious. You know that that something can come out at you without warning, and you've got to figure out how to deal with it. Now, um, the main character does use humor, but there are other ways she has to confront to deal with it as well. But um, but there were a lot of issues that I wanted to explore with spontaneous um, about being young, but also about America and the in the twenty mm. first century. Um, and yeah, I, humor was was the way I I had to attack it, I guess. Yeah, and and that's also I mean it's reflected in Mara, the central character's voice as well. Like she um, beautifully conveys, and I think, and I appreciate obviously that's coming from you that honest approach to uh, shock and tragedy. And she talks about like sometimes crying, sometimes making really inappropriate jokes, mm -hmm. um, sometimes going on as though nothing's happened at all. So I actually wondered when, with that uh, specific reference to inappropriate jokes, as that is kind of is one of the like real coping mechanisms of humans. Whether there's any pushback at any point with that, because humor can be, on the one hand, I find it frustrating because it is such a human thing to do, and knowing so many teens and adults we all use it and it's so relevant but there can also be a lot of pushback in terms of sensitivity about what those jokes are made of so I just wondered if um you'd had any pushback at all on that front sure I mean you know um certainly not from um the publishing company or my editor agents they all they all clung on to the voice immediately yeah and you know I think about my my uh group of friends who who have a similar you know, dark sense of humor that I do. 
And we could make jokes like this amongst ourselves, but there are different mm -hmm. people with different sensibilities that you couldn't. And, you know, um, navigating that, that difference um, is, can be difficult for some and, and gets people into a lot of trouble. Um, but I also wanted to explore that with the character because, you know, mm -hmm. all these different kids are going through the same stuff and they're going to cope with it in different ways. Um, so people that read the book, some, some people read it and, and they, and they, um, they relate to Mara. They, they have similar reactions and other people are kind of disgusted, the readers. Uh, but I wanted it to be a different experience for each reader, depending on how they deal with uh, a tragedy and trauma. So yeah, that was a, that was an important way to get me started was the voice of Mara. Um, I thought at times to make it, um, uh, a young man. And I thought that he would come off a lot more harsh if it was a young mm. man in a way. Uh, I don't know if I was wrong about that, but you know, it just felt instinctually right. Uh, if I was going to tell this story in this, in this, have this really, um, uh, wry and sardonic narrator that, that it had to be a young woman. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I, and I really appreciated the pairing with Dylan as well. And I watched, um, a completely different film last night, which I won't mention because I didn't enjoy the dynamic as much. And it was so refreshing to me to see um, that male character too that had that like sweetness um, and that different tone of voice. And I really appreciated that like across the whole cast of characters, we have such a range of different responses and voices, which sounds obvious because we're all different, but we don't always have that in books. And so um, I wanted to ask you specifically um, about the characters because in the book, it's, it's written in first person, Mara's voice. And Mara is brilliant uh, to my taste at describing characters, incredibly observant and aware and great at um, like pinning them down in, in a sentence in a really quirky but astute way. And so obviously by the magic of writing, that means it's you <laughs> that's brilliant at observing characters. So when you think about yourself and how you do observe and create characters, is there anything that you find uh, particularly useful or is it just something that comes very naturally to you? You know, I'm not really sure. There was there was a recently on um, Twitter or whatever you call it these days, um, there was a, uh, a sort of thread of people talking about, you know, being visual thinkers mm. and, you know, like that, like you can close your eyes and picture an apple. Um, and I'm not one of those people. I, you know, I, I can't picture things in my mind. So, so a lot of people, you know, their entrance into characters is, um, is visual and that's never mm. my entrance into characters. I, I have to, um, you know, I have to cling on either to something emotional or something anecdotal about them because, mm. you know, a, a short little story about a character can tell you a lot about them. So I think in, in, in spontaneous rather than, you know, telling you exactly what the characters look like and things like that, it was let's, let's find, you know, little anecdotes or little um, unique quirks about each character that, that someone like Mara would, would hold on to and define the character through. Now, whether that's the true definition of the character, mm. you know, not necessarily, but it's it's Mara's entry into it. Um, and I find, you know, when you're a young person in school, and I, I went to a, a somewhat large school for uh, high school for, for the U.S., and, uh, you know, there are plenty of people that you're not going to know know very well, and you have to have those um, those little, little stories or those little ideas about them, which may be right mm. or wrong, 
uh, but they they flavor how how you view your student body. That's a really good way of describing it. And it works really well for me. I, I love it. And as you say, and we, we know that there's more to it, but it's a great entry point for the reader yeah. right, in terms of how they're introduced. It makes them really memorable. I can remember so many of the characters. I could be like, Brian, oh yeah, here's the one like eating carrots, this, that, like the funny little details, but that do make them really specific too. I love yeah. it. Um, and I've seen a lot of uh, comments from teachers who've really enjoyed your school visits and what you contribute to the students. And one of them talked about how much you help students understand the writing process and the decisions the authors make. And I know it's um, it's a broad question, but either in relation to Spontaneous or in relation to any of your other books that particularly stick in your mind, what do you think um, are the things that you've come to that do help your process and do help particularly that decision-making process that can be, um, oh, onerous makes it sound very negative, but it can be a lot. Like I think it wasn't until I came to fiction writing that I understood just how many decisions there truly are and what happens if you change one in the stack. Yeah, I mean, every book is is somewhat different in terms of um, in terms of what your um, what your motivation is, and and mm-hmm. and in um, in spontaneous, it was voice. I started yeah. with the voice because I know I needed that voice to tell this dark of a story that I also wanted to give a comedic edge. So once I sort of got comfortable with Mara's voice, I that would let me you know, drive the narrative forward to, to points I wanted it to be. Um, whenever I'm writing a book, I, I don't outline, uh, but I have, you know, certain beats that I want to hit or certain, uh, scenes that I want to get to. And so I, I use them as sort of, you know, um, almost like, you know, uh, 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 like running a race and there are different, you know, water stations along the way that you've Mm got to get to, or, um, you know, you're on a road trip and there's different sightseeing things that you want to get to along the way. So as long as I've got those mapped out in my mind, um, I know generally where the story is going. And then the voice is going to drive me in some cases. In some of my other books, it's it's um, it's the hook of the story, whatever the, mm. you know, I've, I've got a series of books for younger people called Locker 37, which is about a, a magical locker that gives kids um, solutions to their problems. And when I wrote that series, I mapped it out in, in sort of each book would, would come in sort of uh, four acts and, and, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be your typical, you know, um, your typical uh, uh, narrative arc, but I needed to accomplish something in each act and, mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted the stakes to get higher and higher. So, you know, it's sort of like e- reaching each of those points and having having something, whether it's voice, whether it's a gimmick, whether it's a character, um, that's that's going to push you to each one. Um, I don't I don't ever write ahead. I don't you know I don't do parts and then you know in the editorial process I might move stuff around, uh, but it's all about maintaining that momentum. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And again, I think. Um... I don't know. I think sometimes the word gimmick can have a slightly pejorative context to it, but I don't think it is in terms of like that hook and that concept. For example, like the math mysteries, the triple threat. As soon mm-hmm. as I saw that and read, they're just like the first sections of it. I was like, this is such a strong, like unifying concept that then you can have so much fun with. Um, so you seem to be particularly good at doing that. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, that's that's a lot of what gets me excited about writing things is I want to be able to write something that if someone asks me what it is, I can mm. I can give them that, you know, that typical elevator pitch. Now I want it to be more than that. I want it to explore other things. Um, but as a reader or, you know, uh, someone watching a movie, I, 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 you know, I like high concept. I like, mm. I like, um, hooks. I like gimmicky things just like I like that sort of in music as well. Um, mm. because I want it, I want it to hold me. That's not to say that I don't enjoy other, other, other things that might be slower burn or, or you know, take a, a bit longer to get in into, but, you know, as a reader and a writer, those are both things that excite me and and at least you know can can get me readers that might not necessarily be interested before yeah yeah no i agree i love it i'm with you on that one and um it's a broad question but are there things when you think about humor that you do find different because you do write across so many uh, different ages um because i think to my taste in a really good way a lot of the themes are still um like respectfully dark like when I think uh, about books like the Riverman and also think about the characters in them like the, the Fiona character isn't patronized at all in a way that does sometimes happen and does have um like this really keen awareness and like humor that comes through that's beyond some of the kinds of humor that gets used for those age groups for example there's um, a comment that she makes that really sticks in my head about um, an observation about being not having any pictures of her as a baby and like being the third child uh -huh. and like you know makes a comment almost like um, with, like in quite an aware way about oh you know maybe we're vampires who don't show up kind of thing but it's better phrase than that so I'm just curious because I think it um, a lot of the humor is um, respectfully appropriate and doesn't underestimate but but I'm sure when you are within the context of publishing there are different guidelines that you have to think about this one of so it's, a, it's a, a difficult broad question but just for the different ages that you write I, I do you feel quite solid now in terms of how far you can push in each of those or is it still sometimes um, something that has to be negotiated in editorial yeah I mean a, a lot of the um the publishing divisions are certainly you know you can view it um, by just the age age of the characters, and certainly you can write an adult book about eight year olds. But mm. the the voice you're going to use on that is going to be an adult voice looking back. Um, and so, you know, in children's books, you know, certainly in a book for seven and eight year olds, you're not going to fill it full of swears. That's not going to get published. Mm. Um, but those types of things are are part of those kids' lives. So mm -hmm. you don't shy away from the fact that there are, that there is darkness, there is, you know, um, there is this adult society that they, they don't have full access to, but they have some access. Um, and I think that's important because when you're at whatever age you're at, you don't really think of yourself necessarily getting more mature or getting smarter. You've mm -hmm. got to, you know, say you've got a limited vocabulary, but there are big words in that vocabulary, even when you're mm -hmm. young. Um, so if you're just writing for kids as if, you know, all right, I, I'm only going to use, um, you know, these 250 words and I'm not going to, you know, touch these dark subjects at all. You know, you are, you are underestimating what a kid is absorbing during the day. Now, mm. you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, 
present something that is, um, you know, just going to scar children, hopefully, but children are also very good at um, self-regulating. You know, I've got kids. Mm -hmm. Um, There are books and movies that they're just not interested in because they're just say, that's, that seems too scary for me. That seems too much for me. And when they're ready, uh, they will be ready to confront it. So even, even if there are books or things designed for kids, I, I tried to show my, my, um, 10 year old daughter, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, the beginning, she, you know, she likes all sorts of adventure and things like that, but she, just all the skeletons and stuff like that. She just she said, "No, I don't. I don't want to watch this." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a movie for kids, but she knew what she was into and, and she knew what she could handle. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are definitely divisions that you learn when you're writing uh, for children of of what's going to get published. But I don't think there's really many subjects that are out of bounds. It's just how you can. Sh- how you how you confront them yeah no I think that's um a perfect way of answering and I really appreciate the way that you do that and the way that you don't shy away from um using all kinds of humor to uh create that lens as well yeah so this is a a bit of a a side turn but I did see in my research that um before you were a full-time writer you were in New York and you were an editor for a travel bookseller and also an operations director for an African safari company. Mm -hmm. I was just super curious whether there was anything from that time uh, in your learnings or experience that you do think you've carried forward into your writing. Maybe the answer is no, which is fine. I mean, from the time at the, the, the uh, bookseller was named Longitude Books and um, I was there for nearly 10 years. And, and basically what we did is we worked with travel companies that organized, you know, cruises or, or, um, or, you know, tours of Europe or, or um, uh, you know, I, I live in Vermont right now and I see some of my old clients, you know, leading fall foliage tours through. Um, so what my job was when people would go on these trips is I would create a reading list uh, for them of, oh, uh, wow. you know, it might be, a, you know, a guidebook and a map, but then you would also have novels, histories, art histories, depending on what sort oh, of wow. trip they would go on. And then at our at our store, which was mainly an online store, but you could come in New York and and, and buy books. Um, you know, we would ship out and we would curate. Um, so it was, became my job over ten years to know a lot of geography and a lot of different type of books, um, and mm. at least have general knowledge of the books if I hadn't read them. Uh, but it did expose me to a lot of different types of books and 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 different parts of the world. Um, that I wasn't necessarily traveling to, but I was doing a lot of research about. Um, mm. And that that eventually uh, led me into um, uh, getting a job for a safari company where, you know, my job was preparing people for their safaris. I wasn't going out on safari with them, but, you know, telling them what they needed to do and documentation and, and gear and things like that. Um, and then as I got into writing novels, I was also freelancing as a, uh, a guidebook uh, editor and and writer. So I did a num- a, a bit of that for for a number of years. Uh, mm. but that that work is sort of that world has changed a lot. So it was this sort of slow I was always in books uh, and and it's sort of this slow uh, process until you know all I was doing was writing. Yeah. Wow, what a lovely way of adding to people's trips. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd only thought about the logistics side, but yeah, that's wonderful. And um, for you now as a reader or a viewer, 
sometimes it's hard to think on the spot, but are there any people's work or examples that you really love in terms of the way that they use humor, whether that is film, series, novels, poems, whatever media? I mean, you know, I guess the, um, when I was, you know, when you asked me to do this interview, I was, I was thinking of stuff that had influenced me and Mm -hmm. it is this very sort of, uh, um, you know, I think like a lot of people of my age, um, you know, in their mid forties, uh, that we grew up on a lot of British humor and that's what we reacted to. So we're, you know, Monty Python and Douglas Adams and that sort of, um, that's dry, irreverent, absurdist, Mm. uh, Mm. stuff that we weren't getting in America, which was, which, you know, there was some of that in, in Saturday live and, you know, but not to the degree that the, the British were doing it. And so, you know, that was scratching an itch that sort of young people with dark sense of humor, uh, weren't getting from, from here. So I remember, you know, I would, I would, you know, stay up late and try to catch Monty Python on, on the public broadcasting. I never knew when it was going to come on, but sometimes it would come on, sometimes it wouldn't. Um, you know, I watched all the movies on, on videotape. And I think that was a pretty common thing for my age. And then you would see, you know, I would say in the late nineties and early two thousands, um, that, that sort of humor was, was sort of coming into America in a more indie way. And you see that with a lot of comedians, things like, you know, the state and Mr. Show and, you know, all those sort of sketch comedy shows that were much more absurd than, um, and they, they were, you know, they remained underground shows in a certain way. They were successful, but they weren't big hits. Uh, but everyone who came out of that became, a, you know, a, a sort of well-known name in comedy. So, you know, I, I would say that was sort of my biggest influence on, on my comedic sensibilities. But, you know, lots of things, yeah. you know, a lot of things from uh, osmosis. But, you know, that was yeah, the one thing I was thinking about. Was pinning it down as dry, irreverent and absurd is... I was yeah. like, yeah, no wonder I love your work. Yeah. <laughs> um, because again, it's um, absurdity can be such a um, a big word in terms of what we apply it to, but the um, in in spontaneous, the way that it's dealt with is both very real and like just enough distance. Like I think if it had not uh, had that, it would be harder to read and also harder to watch in the movie because I am um, quite sensitive and squeamish to some things like I don't actually watch uh, a lot of horror for example and it's not that the events aren't horrific in the way that there's horrific things happen in the world and tragedy but there's enough distance with the concept and the way that is framed and the way that you deal with the humor and um, the full emotional scope of the characters to be able to watch it without it just being excruciating yeah it's actually like enjoyable even though it kind of feels a bit funny to say it because it's like an, it's a, an inviting way in for someone like me to be able to engage with those really, uh, you know, what can be dark or messy topics. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, no. And, and that was the intent and, and, you know, that's, that's easier to get across on, on, in a book. And I remember yeah. when the movie was going to come out, a lot of people were like, well, I don't know if I can watch, you know, a movie of that book because mm. of what it, what it might entail. You know, you can just say something in a book and people can picture it however. Um, yeah. But the director, you know, Brian Duffield, and he, he wrote the script as well. He he understood that as well. And he knew he knew to, you know, 
partly for budget reasons, he needed to tone it back, but also, you know, he, he often refers to it as, you know, uh, baby's first horror movie. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. this is, it, he, he said, you know, if you can't get through, the, if you can get through the first minute, you can get through the rest of it. You know, that's, yeah. that's the thing. And, um, and I like that approach because some people could read that book and it could just be the most gruesome thing you've ever seen in the world. And I didn't want it to be that, um, because that was never my intention. Yeah. And, and I thought I don't have, um, the vocabulary for how he managed to achieve that, but I did think that was achieved in the film too. Um, I thought like tonally, um, it was absolutely brilliant. And someone like myself, who's, uh, not a, a big horror fan could watch it and really appreciate the brilliant characterization and, and such a great match to the voice of the book as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how that came through. And one of the best uses to my taste of um, voiceover narration that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Really skillfully done. Loved it. Um, so I wanted to ask you what it is that, and this again, another broad question, but what do you specifically love about writing? Because I'm sure some days it's, there's all the challenges, but what is it that keeps bringing you back to it as uh, your vocation? Um, you know, it's uh, it's... Just the need, you know, the need, you get an idea in your head mm. and you, and you sometimes sort of picture it almost fully formed. And it's that sort of quest to, to get as close to that ideal as possible. And, mm. and when I was younger, the act of writing was a lot more fun because I was, I was sort of discovering my voice and, and trying different things out. Um, and I hated revision and, and, um, these days, I, I, I probably prefer revision a bit more. I'm I'm not someone that revises a lot unless it's you know totally necessary. And if it, you get to that point, then you've got to question whether, or at least for me, I've got to question whether you know you know the idea was good in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, I, I right now I just love honing just little parts, and I love just you know um, getting in 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 deep with it after i've done the main architecture and and just you know making every bit as good as i can and that's when i work with editors i often tell them that's that's what i want from an editor i want an editor who will mm-hmm. tell me this isn't good enough this is fine but it isn't good enough this is fine but it isn't good enough um I, you know if i if i think the whole thing needs a restructure then i then i'm worried that the whole thing might not work but you know that that sort of minute those little minute details are are my the part that I enjoy the most now, and and that usually comes in the re- revision process. Yeah, and is it only once you've um, at this point in your career is it only once you finish something that you then get feedback on it, and is that from um, what? Because it seems to be different for all writers, whether that's from agent as well as editor, or just editor, or a wider group. How do you yeah. like to work? I don't, I don't share with a lot of people, um, just cause I don't like to have a lot of different voices sort of, mm. you know, because some people are really good at, at critiquing and giving, giving, uh, feedback, but some people, you know, they try to micromanage your, your, your ideas before they're, before they're fully formed. Um, my, my agent obviously reads anything before it goes out and, um, and there are, times when he's like well you know before we send this out we, you know you should rework this part and and he's he's always right or you know <laughs> about mm-hmm. those things but he he's not a micromanager so he 
he he realizes that's going to happen with an editor. Um, and then, yes, and then an editor will read it. I, I've sold a number of books um, on just, you know, like 50 pages before. Um, so it will often, you know, often be the the opening that will catch someone's eye and they'll and they'll trust me to finish it um for better or worse i mean i i guess i've I've proven for a lot of lot of things that i can do it so they trust me to finish it and um i'm also at a point in my career where it's difficult to just sit down and and write a whole thing without any any um any idea it's gonna see any go anywhere uh I, i still do that occasionally um, and there are things that I've written that are still sitting in the bottom of a drawer. Um, but there are also things that, you know, I started years ago that I picked back up and then, and then mm. they become books. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't share a lot. And, uh, cause I, you know, I, I like to have a good relationship with a few people that I trust. And I think that's usually enough. Um, otherwise I feel there's just too many, too many voices in my ear. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, um, are there, things that you use to like keep things keep a book fresh for you or keep a book uh funny for you or keep a book engaging for you once you have you are at that point where like you say you you've got the architecture and you're reworking things does it ever become stale for you and you need to reinvigorate it or is it like a craftsperson at this uh point that doesn't get that sensation yeah i mean it's almost like um you know, every every uh, writer has sort of crutches they fall back on, whether it's mm. you know uh, tropes or or, or uh, just the way they confront um, uh, dialogue, or they confront you know a certain a certain aspect of writing. And I'm I'm trying to you know identify those things myself, even if an identi- even if an editor isn't identifying it. I know if I'm falling back on something that's too easy. And so, mm. you know, what I find exciting is to sort of break myself of habits or, or try to go through and, and spot my weak points uh, that I might not have spotted in earlier books. And, you know, mm. I, I can't read most books that I've written because, you know, I've moved on from them and I mm. will spot all the things that now I would never, never put in a book, you know. So, so that that part you know excites me in a way i mean it frustrates me too but it excites me in that it's it's something tangible that i can do to improve a book Mm. yeah that makes sense and um another teacher who'd had one of your workshops mentioned that the students had really enjoyed um your presentation the link to storytelling and memories and and that may have been because it's picking up themes from the specific book of the visit i just wondered whether you do go back um intentionally and mine memories and uh, transmute them into something else or if it's a much more unconscious process of things that do just come through in your subconscious and I'm asking because so many things feel um, so well grounded even though they do have um, you know they may have the absurdity or the dryness or things that help her remove too they feel very emotionally real yeah yeah I mean you know uh, certain books are 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 sort of more tied to my history than others. I mean, the Riverman trilogy is, is I would say more personal than some of my other books because it's set very much in the time that I grew up in the place I grew up, um, and is emotionally connected to, you know, what I was feeling at the time. Now the plot is completely different than anything that I, that I confronted, but, um, 
but also things like secondary characters. I, I, I rarely base characters on, on people that I knew, but I will take aspects of, you know, people I knew or, or people that I knew about. And, you know, like we were talking about before those, you know, those little anecdotes that mm-hmm. you might know a little bit about some person and you say, okay, I'm going to take that little bit and this is going to how, be how I create this other character. Um, it's going to be completely different of that person that you remember, but it is drawing specifically from those memories. So there are, there are, you know, scenes and, and anecdotes throughout all my books that are, are based on things that I heard, stories that were told, rumors in school, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So it is, it is pulling directly in a, in a fashion uh, but it's, you know, it's like a sample in music. It's, you know, you, you use it to, to, um, to just kick things off and to, and to, and to be an extra bit of ba- background that, that adds to this tapestry. And hopefully, like you said, makes it feel realistic because it is coming from something, something real. Yeah, totally. And at this point, um, because there is so much humor used so expertly in your books. And like, I think, for example, I think spontaneous is a really um, technical feat as well as um, like an emotional feat. Do you have like a working vocabulary for how you think about that or like um, and the kinds of humor that you're using? Or is it much more um, intuitive than that, that you just know that this is the, what you enjoy? I, I mean, a lot of it is intuitive, but it's it's almost always drawn from the characters. So, mm. so you have to have characters, you know, whether you're going to have... Um, you know, uh, uh, a straight man and, a and, a, mm. and, you know, um, you have to, you have to set up the characters to be, to be vessels for these jokes. Um, so, uh, you know, there's certain jokes like, like in my locker 37 series, there, there are four very distinct characters and you, and each one has a different type of joke that is going to work with them. You can't mm. use some of the jokes, you know, on other characters. Um, and in the case of, um, in the case of uh, Mara, like there's so many jokes in that that are just not going to, not gonna, would not fly if it's a third person narrative. Mm. It's not going to fly with a, with another character. And and you know she does have a she does have a best friend Tess who is is sort of her straight man. And then mm. you know her romantic interest Dylan, you know serves another another function. And and so yeah, I, the only way to comedy I. I, I find is is you know you do have situational comedy obviously but you need the characters to to ground it and 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 give it that punch. Yeah, that's a brilliant way of explaining it. And again, I think that's why I enjoy your work so much because it is so rooted in character, which is um, my favorite. Because I am the kind of person where if I can hear the joke but I don't feel like it fits in the character, I can just hear it as a clever a clever joke or a clever pun, but it's not fitting the character of the situation. It pulls me out and I often don't find it funny. So I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate in your work is it always feels like it, it does come from that. And then you get to explore so many different styles because then it can be goofy or it can be snarky or it can be word-based or there's one of the characters in one of your books who um, I thought was so sweet and true and interesting as a humor tactic for young people that uh, he's given a nickname and then puts it on his t-shirt yeah like that's the way to kind of beat them with humor it's like oh you're so good at like identifying all these different ways because it comes from character like yeah. it gives it just such a rich tapestry i love it so just a couple more um questions before we uh wrap up 
So I'd love to know whether there's uh, sort of any parting advice that you have for other people who'd like to get a little bit more confident or at least trying out uh, some humor in their fiction, whether they're writing for middle grade or young adults. Yeah, I mean, I think the humor has to be personal. It has to be um, stuff that makes you laugh. Um, Mm. You know, a, a lot of, certainly on the younger end, Kids are learning humor, so you can you can use sort of you know um, cliched jokes or tropes and things like that that they haven't confronted yet, and they're going to find mm. them they're going to find them funny because they're confronting them for the first time. They're not you know they're not seeing this from from Groucho Marx or from mm. from you know even from uh, Will Ferrell or something you know like there's just you know comedy is this sort of passing down through generations, and then whoever you're getting this bit of comedy from you're getting it at a young age um but i would anyone that's writing it you know think about what makes you laugh and certainly when you're when you're writing for young people they're going to be confronting it for the first time so you um you've got to give them you know a certain amount of access that that they're not going to necessarily have the the full comedic range that you do at a, at a certain young age, but as you get older, you can, you can stretch that out. And, um, uh, that's why the, I would say the humor and, in, in, um, in my younger books is a bit broader, uh, while as I get older, you know, it's more satirical and more, mm. more pointed. Um, but you know, don't try to copy, copy, uh, jokes or just throw in a joke just because, you know, you've heard that it's funny. It has to be funny to you. Um, and what, and finally it's, you know, there's going to be half the world that's going to hate, hate your, hate your (laughs) book if it's, if it's pitched as a funny book. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the nature of comedy and you have to get over that. Like you can write a, a tragedy and most people aren't going to, um, comment on, you know, whether something's devastating or not, because we all sort of have the same, Mm. same entry into some things that are devastating but we don't have all the same entry point into what's funny so so you can't try to please everyone obviously you've got to please yourself first and then that will please a certain subset of people that have a similar sense of humor yeah and that's such a great way of putting it because it is so subjective and i know that about myself there's it's just one of those weird things that there's some things i find funny and some things i don't that i literally will see the person next to me thoroughly enjoying that they're watching or reading so it is so subjective and knowing that about ourselves as readers hopefully we can know that as writers too though I imagine it must be harder (laughs) in terms of um, the judgment because not everyone holds that that full picture but if I read something that I don't find funny often I don't think it's a bad book it's just like that's not my particular style of humor whereas something um, like spontaneous is is a great match for how um, I'm interested in engaging with the world and thinking about the world and appreciating those characters. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great uh, qualifier. Thank you. And uh, lastly, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Um, I have a I have a basic website that's just AaronStarmer.com. So that's A A R O N S T A R M E R dot com, and that that has all my books and links to where you can buy them and you know, reviews and things like that. Um, you know, I used to, I used to be on Twitter a lot more. It's, that's gotten kind of, you know, everyone knows what happened to to that lately. It's, 
it's kind yeah. of a cesspool now. So I, I, I try to avoid that. I, I do have a Blue Sky account. Uh, I've oh, okay. pl- played around with a little bit, but um, I don't know. It's I, I, I'm I'm getting a little bit away from those things. Uh, they're they're massive time sucks, and you know, mm. take away from productivity. And hopefully, you know, that will mean I can put out more books. And you know, yeah. I will have a, will have a few more in the next few years at least. And and so you can keep a keep an eye out for those. Um, and uh, yeah, that's cool. about it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, so I do have to ask you one sneaky last question, oh. which is um, how far ahead are you kind of working? Like when you look at your calendar, are you sort of like, I kind of know what's happening for the next year, two years, three years, or it's hard to say? Yeah. I mean, I've, I, um, I have another one of those math mystery books coming out next year, which is basically completely done and ready to go. Um, and you know, those are, those are just sort of fun books, uh, mis- comedic mysteries for kids mm. where they solve math, math problems, sort of, you know, an updated encyclopedia Brown type of thing that was, you mm. know, a, that a publisher approached me about writing and I said, sure. And sound, you know, sounds like fun. Um, and then I have two books coming out in 2025, uh, which are, um, one is a middle grade book and one is a young adult book. Um, you know, in, in a way they're both possibly the weirdest things that I've ever written, both of them. Um, they take some big swings, but I hope that, um, the, the young adult is definitely my most personal young adult book. Uh, but it's, it's got a, it's got a strange hook to it. And then the middle grade is just, um, I don't know if they really are going to let me get away with it, but we'll see. It's kind of a, a kind of a wild formal formally wild and 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 thematically wild but you know i i'm at a point where i just want to write what what excites me and both of these are things that excited me and they're not they're not you know straightforward comedies either of them but i i can't write anything without comedic elements and you know Mm -hmm. even my most dark and tragic books i i view as dark comedies even if even if other people don't oh my goodness i am so excited now so I, i won't uh, be one of those annoying people that's uh, bugging you for is it done yet is it done yet but that's uh, something to really look forward to yeah. and I will definitely definitely keep my eyes out for those so thank you so much uh, today for having this conversation and thank you for all your books they're oh, such and, a treat and thank you I, I really had fun <laughs>